This prayer, as I told you before, I just kind of review. I like to do that. Remember, this uh, first three chapters are broken into two sections. We have 1, 3 to, thir- to 14, which is content, and then 1, 15 uh, to the end there of 21 is a prayer. Then at 2, 1, you have content that goes to 3, 13, and then you 3, 14 to 22, you have a prayer. So it's content prayer, content prayer. And I, I don't know of any other book that Paul does this in that particular way, but it does <clears throat> relate to the idea of uh, <clears throat> this matter of that not only do we need to know uh, these truths and these matters of understanding, but there is this matter of praying, if you will. I'm going to use this language. Paul may not, but kind of praying this in, that it's not enough <clears throat> to know, but it's enough. It's, it's more for us to experience, for us to kind of pray those truths in. And it's interesting here <clears throat> in this uh, last section, uh, I, I've noted, uh, if you will, when Paul says in 3.14, for this reason, Again, you'll note that in 1.15, for this reason. These prayers are always the feature or the result of some content, some teaching, some uh, declaration of what God has done. They're not just prayers that just happen. They are prayed for a particular reason. And so uh, we've looked at that. And then in this prayer, as we've uh, looked at it, uh, this prayer has several Features that suggest purpose. You'll notice here in verse 16, that, or in order that. In verse 17, so that, and that uh, uh, two times. And then in 19, that. All of those uh, pronouns there indicate purpose, that or so that. And so this this prayer is is really kind of tight in terms of its understanding of why or what's the reason? Now you think think about that uh, w- with this idea of why Paul is praying this way because of what he knows and understands about what God has done in Christ. Now this prayer, I want to ask you to look at it in a couple of ways as well. That there are basically two requests in this prayer, as I see it. We'll we'll finish that. Let let me just kind of give that in, in general. The word strength or strengthen shows up. In, in two different areas. And it is in verse 16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit. We talked about that last week. So that Christ, see there's the that or so that, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And this uh, other uh, matter of being strengthened, that you may be strengthened, verse 18, <clears throat> ESV, that you may be strengthened to be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the love of God? So if you're, if you're pulling this apart, this prayer has to do with being strengthened so that Christ can dwell in your heart by faith and strengthened that you might know the love of God. Those seem to be the two petitions here. So we're going to work through it. Remember we talked about this, that what this whole section is about is knowing what God expects from us is to walk worthy of our calling and to work, walk worthy of our calling, it's necessary for us to, uh, for living out our calling is to know what our calling is. And in this prayer, I've suggested this. The posture of this prayer, <clears throat> we talked about that last week. What's the posture? Paul records here, what? Kneeling. Kneeling or bowing. You might do that this week. I ask you to consider kind of experimenting with that. That prayer, the typical, if you will, posture in prayer is standing in a Jewish faith. But 
in this particular passage, Paul is really referring to this posture of bowing. And so I encouraged you uh, to uh, think about that. I'd said last week, remember C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters, that brilliant uh, presentation of how the devils try to work against us, is that he said in the book that Screwtape was always reminded to remind human beings that they're still of the animal world and the, their posture and their body positions have something to do with them. So this week, I ask you to do that. I, I experiment a little more with uh, uh, praying and bowing. And uh, maybe you can do some more of that. May, may try that. I, I found out my knees are not as good a shape as I thought they were. It's a lot easier. But there is something about it. There is something about that, of that bowing. So that, that we talked about the posture. Then we referred to, uh, that was the application. Then we said the person of this prayer. Who does Paul say we're praying to? Huh? Verse, it's actually verse 14. The Father. <clears throat> yeah, the Father. And I communicated and said, this is a very significant truth from uh, Judaism that no one ever directly prayed to God as Father. There's no evidence of that in uh, rabbinical writings. This idea of praying to God directly as Father is a new thing. Joachim Jeremias, who's a <clears throat> great uh, German theologian, said, this is the single most important feature that Jesus brings to people in his ministry, that you can address God as Father, as a direct discourse. And so we, we looked at that. That's important. You can, you can uh, do some more uh, looking at that from last week. Then this matter of, if you will, the petitions of this prayer. And that uh, has to do with this matter here, if we begin in verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened. See, now there it is. That's the first one there. To be strengthened, what? With power through His Spirit in the inner person or the inner man. That, that, that word man just means humanity. Uh, and we discussed last week about being strengthened by the Spirit. If you want to watch the video, we, we have that loaded up about what is it in this area of being strengthened in the Spirit? I gave you three or four C's uh, for that <clears throat> to be able to kind of remember those. Anybody remember those? What, what is the, the Spirit strengthens us to what? Uh, oh, we're going to have to have a test. <clears throat> See, I've been out of the classroom, but I hadn't forgot about tests. <clears throat> huh? Live in confidence. The Spirit gives us strength to live in confidence. What else? What else? Circumcise our heart. <clears throat> yeah, to circumcise our heart. A sense of companionship. A sense of companionship. <clears throat> A sense of companionship that, that we're walking with God. What else? Communication with the gospel. And communicate the gospel, right? That, that the Spirit's empowering is to help us to communicate, open our mouths to communicate the gospel. And that's to be strengthened in the inner person. And I, there are certainly more features of that, I'm certain. But those C's at least help me to recall and remember of what the work of the Holy Spirit. Then Paul goes a little further, and I want to go to this, and this is the petition of that. That's on your hand out there, that. <clears throat> Verse 16. Strengthen with power <clears throat> so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, you know, reading through that uh, over uh, some time, I, um, it, it, it shocked me just a little bit uh, when Paul said that the Holy Spirit... Uh, would strengthen us with power 
so that, or in Greek, hina, the, 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 the Greek term means in order that, or so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It stopped me. I thought, okay, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. Christ dwelling in my heart through faith to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit to do that? And I said, you know, it, 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 it might be, it's possible, our thinking of this, that we have, this is Cliff's opinion, thoughts and opinions, teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions, cross community or child delusion, uh, that, that we have so objectified the gospel and made it almost a technique. If you just bow your head and pray, you'll be saved. If you just go to the altar and kneel, you'll be saved. You get baptized, you'll be saved. We, we've almost, in some sense, in my thinking, I'm, I'm just trying to understand this, that Paul is saying here that you'd be strengthened by the Spirit in the inner person so that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. The operation of the Spirit here that Jesus or Paul is referring to is completely consistent with the teaching of Jesus. Who said in John 3, unless you're born of the Spirit, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of Spirit. And, and this idea, I, I just wrote my notes. What's of particular interest to me here is this matter of Christ dwelling. This, this word here means to make a permanent home. There, there, there are different terms in Greek that to have this idea of dwelling. This particular one has the notion of, a, of like a permanent dwelling and so we, we, we see this idea that Christ dwells in us as a dwelling place. And I wrote in my notes this, and maybe, maybe I've been a Christian too long. But how crazy is that thought? That Christ dwells in you. The second person of the Trinity. God of the universe. I, maybe we've been Christians too long to not stop and think, wait a minute, that we might be strengthened through the power and ministry and operation of the Spirit so that the second member of the Godhead, Christ Jesus Himself, might dwell in us. I, I just wrote... I think I've been a Christian too long when I can glibly say that Jesus lives in me. But what's the distinction between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of Christ? I'm not making that choice. No. <laughs> yeah, he's, for, for, for recording sakes, he just said, Cliff, you're doing a great job. <laughs> yeah, he's asking the question, is there a distinction? Is there a distinction between the indwelling of the Spirit and dwelling of Christ? I don't think so, Stanton. I mean, from the standpoint in Ephesians or in, in, in Romans, in, in Romans 8, he said, if you have not the spirit of Christ, you're none of his. He says, be being filled with the spirit. <clears throat> this is Trinitarian kind of language that we're not splitting up the Trinity. But the language of the New Testament refers to this notion of Christ dwelling, living, being in me through and by and with the power of the spirit who makes that effectual in our lives. But I, I for, for some years, I've, I've thought this is an audacious statement. 
for, for me to say, Christ lives in me. He lives in you. What? This, this is audacious. And Paul says, I'm praying this, that you'll know that you'll be strengthened with power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by your we're part of it, by faith. By faith. This is a real thing. Has that, have you ever thought about this? The, the, the audacious statement, the audacious nature, the incredible statement to say that a human being like you and I, Christ dwells in us through the power of the Spirit. This is certainly, uh, if you will, uh, the New Testament Throughout it, look, th- here's some verses <clears throat> just for this point, and we'll move on here, but uh, I'll just give you several here about this idea that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith or in our lives. Galatians 2.20, and Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. <laughs> Hear that? Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, that's an audacious statement. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. That's an audacious statement. I can remember uh, talking to students about this and discussing this in the classroom and saying, you know, the, the, the word here, it's no longer I. The, the Greek word for I is ego, E-G-O. Interesting, isn't it? I, ego, or ego, it's not like the muffin, it's ego, that's how you pronounce it. But it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's that's a staggering statement to say that the Spirit has strengthened me and enabled me that through His operation, through His ministry, through His work, that now Christ lives in me. Colossians 1.27, where Paul makes the statement that uh, Christ in you, the only hope of glory. Christ in you, the only hope, he says, of glory. Christ in us. First uh, <clears throat> Corinthians six nineteen, <clears throat> when it says, "You're the temple <clears throat> of the Holy Spirit." These <clears throat> these kind of statements are staggering to me when I stop to think about it. And say, this is not just a religious idea. <clears throat> this is not just a principle that I live by. It's not just some, some, some uh, theory or philosophy of life. This is a matter of Christ through the power of the Spirit living in you and in me. And uh, one of my professors, I told you before, <clears throat> said this, that Steve Siemens, a gr- great guy, just uh, retired from Asbury, would say when he prays, he, he rarely says, now, Lord, help me. Steve would always pray this way. Lord, help yourself to me. <laughs> that, that's different. No, not, not help me. Help yourself to me. Here, here we go. Noel. So I'm either going to open a can of worms or release a rabbit. Oh, okay. <laughs> we know Christ dwells in us, that realization. And if that spirit is alive and living in us and we <laughs> contemplate the power of that inside us, mm-hmm. why is that not prevailing my actions and my thoughts? Why do I have to fight and battle mm-hmm. sin and doing the right thing and spending time in the morning in prayer? Because if that's inside of me, yeah. that's greater than everything else. Mm-hmm. 
that's, that's the, <laughs> so, so, so why do we struggle if we have this great power inside of us? Yeah. Teacher? Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe we can talk about that next week in England. So. <clears throat> well, off the, off the cuff, I, I would say, I'm going to have some help here. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, <clears throat> I think, or 3, <clears throat> or it's in the neighborhood. <clears throat> um, yeah, for, oh, five, where Paul says, don't quench the spirit. Okay, so the spirit of him, raised Jesus, that lives in us. Can he be quenched? Yeah, that, that word is more the idea of pouring water on a fire. So, so quenched. So how, how do we understand that with this wonderful gift of Jesus dwelling in us, the spirit dwelling, how, do we, how are we alert to not quench the spirit. Second, uh, uh, Ephesians 4, later, one day we'll get there. <clears throat> Ephesians 4 is, is uh, the statement of do not uh, grieve <clears throat> the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> grieve, cause sorrow. Then <clears throat> Paul keeps saying, other places in Galatians or Ephesians 5, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a present durative <clears throat> verb there. It's not a one-time thing. It's be being filled <clears throat> with the Holy Spirit. Um, now, I'll, let me give you a practical thing on this, uh, Noel, I think, um, just <clears throat> in, on observation here. Um, mm, how do I say that? <clears throat> is, um, one is <clears throat> most of us, maybe not even intentionally, have gotten our lives so organized, we don't need God. Right? I mean, come on. Most of us, I'm not knocking us out. I'm just saying, you know, it's just Mother Teresa, you know, when she came to America, she talked about the poverty of muchness. You know, they were talking about, oh, it's so terrible where you live, <clears throat> what you have to do, and how you have to be involved. And she said, hey, 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 calm down. It's the poverty of muchness that you guys have. She prayed for, she said she prayed for America. So I think <clears throat> on the one hand, we're pretty well situated where we have very little um, need for God. We I, I, we have very well, we think, yeah, right, yeah, that's an important distinction. Uh, but, and, I, and I've said, one of the ways to, to break out of that, one, of the, one way, one of the ways to break out of that is this. Get involved with real people who have real problems and do real ministry. That'll prove it to you. You get involved with real people who have real problems in real ministry, you will suddenly realize your need for the Holy Spirit, for Jesus, for the power of God. That will start that. The other thing, we're going to get to this, and this is really like right down the lane of Wesley's theology. We're going to be looking at that we might know the height and breadth and length and depth of the love of Christ. Um, Wesley, I think, was a genius in this area that he understood that the Christian life had to be understood as this holy love that lived out. And I, I was even writing some this morning on this, not knowing you would ask this 
you and you would ask these. You're both going to. Hey, you got to leave me alone. When we go to England. Okay, these two people are on the same trip. Man, I'm going on another flight. Yeah. 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 Becky, get us an earlier flight. Uh, I I think where you where we talk about this, we're trying to real life here now, not trying to be, you know, like all this wonderful talk that can't be lived out in a parking lot. Uh, one of the things uh, that I've at least tried to lean into more and more in Wesley theology is this, that Wesley taught that the supreme expression of Christian existence is to love God. I'm going <clears throat> to talk to that. And, and I love how Thomas Oden said it in his work when he said this, that the Holy Spirit, again, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is uniquely qualified to rehabilitate what sinners love. Let, let that sink in just a little bit. What we all need is God's love to rehabilitate what we love. If it's ourself or if it's things. And Wesley's understanding of this was that this understanding of the Christian life that that the love of God or for God was to be an unrivaled love. There were, be, there were to be no rivals to this. Now, how does that happen? And again, I come back to Wesley when he said that this true understanding of living for, within this power is to love God with all one's, all, one's, all one's heart, all one's soul, mind, and strength. That's out of Deuteronomy 6. That's been, way, it's been here a long time. So he said, this is the true Christian life, to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. But you cannot love God until you're convinced He loves you. So, Noel, when I was working with students, and myself even, you know, I... There are a lot of times I will say, I've said this to all of you, you know, I sound like I know God a lot better than I do, okay? I can outkick my coverage real fast, <clears throat> okay? I can outkick my coverage. But if people are struggling with other loves that are, that are pulling them away, instead, you know, I kind of grew up in church, stop that. <laughs> oh, that helped. <clears throat> you know, wow, thank you. I wish I'd have thought of that. <laughs> Or I was talking to one of our counselors this week. I said, i got a new technique. You can help people when they're having problems. You just tell them, snap out of it. That'll work every day. Yeah, they won't come back. See, they, they will not come back. They'll be fixed. <laughs> but, but, but instead of saying, stop doing that, say, what is going on in your understanding of God's love for you that makes that attractive? What is it, Cliff? Because I, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to me now. What is it that is attracting you to that? In terms of, instead of basking and living in an understanding of the love of God. So I think that's, that's a long answer. I tried to confuse you as much as I could so you won't ask anything else. <clears throat> if you ask anything else, I'm going to drop a couple of Greek words on you and then we're done. Okay, But, but I do think... That one, we don't need God. We say we do, but we don't in so many ways. And the other thing is, is that our love 
has got to get rehabilitated. We... Man, I've been leaning into this in my own life to say, God, I just need to know more fully, more deeply. Y'all are making me go for it. Look what he says. <laughs> that you would be able to comprehend with all the saints and to know the love of God, which, watch this, which the height, or, the, or it starts with the breadth and the length and the depth and the strength, oh, can't even read it here. The breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Okay, I'm going I'm to get to that here in a second. That you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. I'm, I'm going to forget about my outline here for a second. But let me tell you, this is where Paul, and Don and I were talking about this the other day. What, Paul seems to be saying, how, that sounds nuts. Again, you've been, you've always been Christians too long. You're, this doesn't bother you, okay? This doesn't stun you. What? Look here. That you might be filled to all the fullness of God. It's like my friend Gerald Marble said one time, Bob's dad, last week that preached. People would say, oh, God, fill me with all that you are. Gerald used to say, you'd be like a 60-watt bulb at Hoover Dam. <laughs> right? God, all his power. <laughs> Just like that, you'd be burned out. Just like that. Right? Paul is suggesting here and saying that when you know the length and depth and height and breadth, and you know or you come to know what transcends knowledge, you will be filled to the fullness of God. I got a lot of notes here. I'm just running right over them. That's okay. This, this idea of our lives, this is why Paul's praying this. He's praying. He said, look, I pray that you be strengthened. The first strengthen is that Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith. And the second strengthen is that you would know or understand or comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Now, that's an interesting phrase here. Look at this. So let, let, let's come back. When he says, i got to back up some more. He said that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Now, <clears throat> those um, verbs there, I don't know where I'm on my outline, so just stick with me here. <clears throat> uh, rooted, those verbs are past tense verbs with continuing, it could be translated, since you have been and continue to be rooted, and since you have been and continue to be grounded in love. I, 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 do, I do need to re, read this to you. That, that this idea, rooted and grounded, what's the love that we're rooted and grounded in? I'm going to give you three real quick. Okay, We're rooted and grounded in love and continue to be because it's rooted and grounded in God's great love for us. Okay, that's where it starts. That we're rooted and grounded in love because that's God's love for us. That's Romans 5.8. God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love that word too when Paul says that we're, we need to be rooted and grounded in this kind of love. What? That God demonstrates His love toward us. That Greek word there means to stand with you. I'm not sure why the translators say demonstrate. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Greek word, two words, soon histamine, that means to be with and to stand. 
It's a beautiful picture that God stands with us in his love. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He wouldn't desert you. He wouldn't run away. He stood with you in his love. We have to be rooted and grounded in that understanding of that kind of love. That God didn't desert you when you were a sinner. He will not desert you now. That's rooted and grounded. Second, second, rooted and grounded love. How's that? Because all of the commandments of God are summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5.14. Galatians 5.14. We're rooted and grand love, not because of God's love to us, but because all of the commandments and all of that we have to do and live and act out as a follower of Jesus is found in love God and love your neighbor. That pretty simplified it, didn't it? That made that matter. So we're rooted in grounded. Now, and third, that we're rooted and grounded in love because no act of service can replace love. No act of service can replace love. I, I know and I've been one of those people that I thought that God loved me when I worked real hard. Or that I just, you know, I just did a lot of stuff. 1 Corinthians 13 says, if I give my body to be burned... And have not love. It's nothing. If have all knowledge and understand all mysteries and have not love, it's nothing. If I have all faith so as to move a mountain and have not love, it's nothing. I, I wrote this thinking about this, that this matter is that we end up falling into duty without devotion. Action without affection. Work without worship. This is why we're rooted in God's love for us in all the commandments and that love is that matter. Let me read you what Wesley said on this. That we're rooted in this. <clears throat> I love this. He says, love is the health of the soul. The full exertion of all of its powers. The perfection of all of its facilities. One author said this, and I think they're right. You, I might have to work around this from a biologist. But what, it, what makes human beings human is their capacity to love and choose who they love. If you, if, if, if this author, a, a brilliant scholar, basically said, if you want to boil humanity down to what, what makes a human a human, you would say, well, created in the image of God, which means that we're created in the image of God, means we have this ability to love. That's what makes us human. I can choose to love. And this idea of this matter, and so Wesley goes on, he says, there's nothing higher in religion. There is, in effect, nothing else. If you look for anything more than love, you are wide of the mark. Have you received this blessing or that blessing? If you mean anything but more love, you are wrong. And you're leading people out of the way and putting them on a false scent. That's why Paul said, rooted in ground. Now, next one. I, I think I'm in third. I don't know. Who cares? Here we go. Notice. We'll have to finish this from England. We'll live stream it to you. Hi, we're on the bus. No. Uh, and, and to comprehend... That's an interesting word. Uh, it comes from a, a, a combination word. It means to kind of take up, to pick up. Okay? You know, pick it up. P 
yeah, grab it, pick it up. Here, here's the idea. If God has shown his love, if we know this, that, then we got to pick it up. We got to say, okay, I'll, I'll take that. You can't just passively sit there, oh, well, maybe so someday. But to comprehend or pick up, notice he's with all the saints. This is a community thing together. How many of you have ever experienced God's love through a person in the church? I have. Yeah. That, that we're able to comprehend it, to take it up, to pick up God's love with, with all of the saints. Not by yourself in some closet praying or not on some desert meditating somewhere. By the way, who would go to a desert to meditate? The beach <laughs> or mountains. Uh, but, but this idea to take up the love of God. Notice what he says. The breadth. I just want to talk real quick about this. These, these dimensions. The wideness of God's love. The breadth of it. There's an old hymn we used to sing. There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in His justice which is more than liberty. For the love of God is broader than the measure of our mind. And the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. If our love were more simple, we would take him at his word. And our lives would be illumined by the glory of the Lord. The width of God's love. Then Paul says here, the length. How far does it go? You can't outrun it. You can't go past it. Psalm says in 139, when the psalmist says, If I make my bed in hell... You are there. How far? What's the length of it? How far does it go? Other passages that refer to the same thing. The height. How high can it go? Uh, by the way, there's a great book if you want to read it on this. Uh, by, uh, get the writer. I almost said Paul Bunyan. John Bunyan. <laughs> Dick Greenlee has affected me in more ways than I can tell. I know. John Bunyan. Call all loves excelling. He writes an entire book on these two passages. This incredible thing, and Bunyan says this matter of God's love, the height of it, that it exceeds anything. I thought of Romans 5.20 when it said, when sin got bigger and higher, what happened? Grace got even higher, superbounded. And it's depth, it's ability to go deep. You can't ever go too deep in sin. You can't ever go too far away that God's love cannot reach you. And Paul says that you would comprehend with all the saints to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Isn't that weird that he would say that? Comprehend and know what surpasses knowledge. A couple things I just want to ask you to consider. Quit saying stuff like this. Well, I just can't believe or understand God's love for me. Quit saying that because that's true. <laughs> we already know that. Tell us something new. Okay. Tell us something new. You know, when you say, well, God's love is so hard to understand. It's so difficult to grasp. It's, it's a, tell us something new. We already know that. It already says it, it surpasses knowledge, but he says to know it. So I wonder, Paul, being a Jewish rabbi, the word know in Hebrew, yada, is a word that's used 
primarily throughout the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. And it really speaks to intimate personal knowledge of two people that know each other. It's not cognitive. It's not a list of ideas or thought. It, it really is knowing. For instance, I mean, it's, it's part of this example. Listen, I, Becky and I have been married for a lot of years. And uh, <laughs> carried the two. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. 43. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> we, we've, we've lived with each other so long that I know her, not through some intellectual matter, but by living life with her, watching her, understanding her. This is the idea of knowing what's unknowable. It's not knowable by some list or take some class. But he's saying that you might know as an experience, as a, as a way of, of living out. I, I can see Becky and I can know Sometimes what she's thinking, and it scares me. <laughs> or I, it really does. Uh, but, but I know it because we've been together. We've had fellowship. We, we've lived life together. And maybe Paul is referring to that yada idea, that you would know what surpasses knowledge. Hey, Cliff, you're not going to figure this out by doing a word study. You're not going to figure this out by figuring out how the verbs you're going to figure this out by experience. You're going, to experience. you're going to figure this out by experience as you live this life. And so he says that you might know that which surpasses knowledge. And then finally, he said that you'd be filled with the fullness of God. The only fullness of God we can know is in the area of love. We can't know the fullness of God in knowledge or wisdom or understanding. Can't, we can't be filled with the fullness of God with power. We can only be filled with the fullness of God as He takes our heart and floods it. David Seaman, Steve's dad, uh, used to say it this way. And this is, again, uh, this is not a commercial for Wesley. I'm going to be over there so I can talk about him all I want to over there. But see, this is why Wesley taught and communicated and declared that there was, by the power of God, this experience, what he called perfect love, where we loved God unrivaled. That God had so moved in our hearts and so worked in our souls that we loved him completely, unrivaled. There's a new book out by a guy named Kevin Watson. He's a brilliant uh, Westland scholar, and the name of the book is called Perfect Love. And he's made the argument, I think he's right, that the because John Wesley said this, the reason that God raised the Methodist up was to declare this teaching, this truth about perfect love. Again, you can't love God till you know He loves you. But Wesley and the Methodist revival preached and taught and experienced, if you will, this fullness of love where their love was unrivaled. Uh, Watson says, and, and, I, and I really appreciate it, because <clears throat> um, Wesley always encouraged people, keep praying, keep pressing, keep, keep, keep singing, keep, keep understanding that God can do this wonderful work in your heart to so 
rehabilitate your heart that you love the right things now. Kevin, in the preface, I don't hardly, I don't hardly read a preface of a book. It's, you know, tell me thank you to my mom and my grandma and all that. I'm going, oh, I don't need that. But Kevin, in the book, makes this statement. He, he, and he's a Wesleyan scholar. And he said, I have preached and taught and believed this truth that Wesley brought to the 18th century. And will continue to believe and continue to teach and continue that God can so work. Not where we don't sin. Not where, he never talked about that. Where our hearts, though, can be so captured that they're rehabilitated. And then, then, then Kevin says this in the book. I just, I had to put it down. He said, it hasn't happened to me yet. But I keep trusting. Man, that's where I want to be in the lane in my life. I don't want to have some destination sickness. Like, i got to get over here and this has got to happen. Because when they asked Wesley, they asked him when he talked about this, about your love for God. He said, are you saying that people are sinless? He said, I have never contended for this. Wesley knew sin was a symptom, not a cause. He knew that the cause was our love being rehabilitated. That if we get that right... We get that straight through the power of the Holy Spirit. That other stuff will take care of itself. And instead of concentrating, in fact, Sidlow Baxter is another great writer. I, I'm going to be up for a couple weeks, so we may be here just a couple more minutes. So Sidlow Baxter said this, whenever you talk about holiness or this kind of thing, and all you talk about is not sinning, you just aggravate people's hearts. Instead of saying, I want to offer this, that, that God wants to so rehabilitate our hearts that our loves are unrivaled. Now, how's that happen? I'm going to finish with this. Look at verse 20. <clears throat> he didn't say try harder. He didn't say get more disciplined. <clears throat> he didn't say read a book. This is this last part. I think I've got a slide here on something like that. Probably do. Oh, yeah. The promise. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. Now, just look here a second. The, the ending of this section of Ephesians and the ending of this prayer is an appeal to say, now to Him who is able... I mean. The context here is not who's able now, I'm going to have a great ministry and, you know, now I can go. No, this ability is, has to do with Christ dwelling in our heart and the love of God. Now to Him who's able to do more, you can ask or even think. Consider that. Your brain can't go that far. You can't ask big enough in this area. God's committed Himself to be strengthening us with His Spirit that Christ may dwell in our hearts and that we might be able to comprehend and know the love of God. And so now, to Him, who's able to do this, above all we can ask or think according to the power that works, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So what does this mean, Cliff? means this. This prayer is praying for those two great issues that we need in our life. And that is that we will be strengthened 
that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. His home, His dwelling, His permanent place of living. And that we would be strengthened to be able to know the love of God. Its height, its depth, its length, its breadth. That we might be filled to the fullness of God. Can you pray that? Can you pray that? To say, God, that's what I want. That's what I need to be able to walk worthy of the calling with which I've been called. Drop all that other stuff off. So I'm going to read it as our final prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that He would grant you and me and us and all of us according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, and that being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, all knowledge, all understanding, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what you or I can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Bless you. Amen.